Good morning, everyone. So our text for this week is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that would be on page 1021. So again, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, don't have one here with you today, just grab one of those Bibles uh, in the pew in front of you, the pew back in front of you, and you can follow along with us uh, today. We'd love to have you just uh, make sure what I'm saying is what this says. Uh, that's the most important thing. I wield or hold no authority. This holds it all. Uh, can someone shout out, maybe you did this, Jen, I just wasn't paying attention. Uh, shout out the page number of the Pew Bible. 1021. Did you say it? I wasn't paying attention. All right, good. 1021, if you want to follow along with me today. Well, uh, at the end of this letter, we call it First John, uh, John gives us his motive for writing this letter. He says in First John 5, I write these things to you so that, there's a purpose statement, right? So that you may know that you have eternal life. John's letter is bent on providing assurance of true belief. So if you've ever struggled with truly knowing whether or not you're actually a Christian, God included this little letter just for you to fan the flames of assurance in your heart. First John is about helping us gain clarity on whether or not we are truly Christians by pairing doctrine with devotion, what we believe with how we live. These two things, doctrine and devotion, what we believe and how we live, these two things properly paired, John argues, give us a warm assurance of salvation. And if you recall, John is writing to, into a specific situation to a specific church, probably in a city called Ephesus. Some, some people had just left the church, and John uh, is writing to the people that are left over in the church. And the reason that these people had left the church is because they had been led astray by incorrect teaching about Jesus, incorrect doctrine about Jesus. Some of them were doubting that God had actually become a human being with flesh and bones. Others of them were doubting that Jesus was actually God. We covered those things last week, so if you need to go back and catch up with that on our podcast. But there are some other myths for John to dispel this week, too. And as the fog of these myths clears, we should have more clarity on what the gospel is that we cling to and how it is the only true gospel and the saving gospel. So here's today's big idea. It's like a portable, uh, one-sentence summary of what you can take home with you that's an encapsulation of what this text is saying today. Assurance is fueled by knowing the truth about God and yourself. If you want to be sure you're a Christian, you've got to know the truth about you and the truth about God. Two points today that will help unpack this idea. First is step out of the darkness, and second is walk in the light. Step out of the darkness, walk in the light. So that's where we're headed today. First, step out of the darkness. 
One of the things that characterized this group of people that left the church was a darkness in their thinking, particularly about sin. So all you people that are visiting today, there's going to be a lot of talk about sin, okay? We're just going to try to say what it says, though. Um, they had it all twisted. Some were pretending like they didn't sin at all. Some were pretending like their sin didn't matter. So one way we step out of darkness is by not falling prey to these two ideas. Don't pretend like you don't sin. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, sin is just like, especially in the church, right, is a word that just rolls off our tongues so easily. But what is sin? What is it actually? Sin as a concept isn't super popular in our day, is it? But the further it slips from our grasp as a society, the further it slips from our grasp even as the church, the closer we get to calling God a liar. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Sin, what a quaint, outdated idea, huh? I mean, what even is sin? A famous psychiatrist, his name was Carl Menninger, he posed this same exact question 50 years ago when in his day and age and day and time, whatever, uh, he, he witnessed the slow disappearance of the word sin from society. And he wrote a book called What is Sin? And here's what he said. The word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous, serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared. The word, along with the notion. But why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Obviously, the concept of sin has all but disappeared in our modern-day American society, at least. Anything and everything goes. But I think we need to be aware of this idea slipping into our own hearts, even as Christians. Like, even Christian therapists are wandering down this path, I think. They attribute things like our anger or anxiety or adultery to unresolved psychological issues, mental illness, illness or past trauma. Please don't misunderstand me. I do not mean to say that our past traumas do not matter. We are all products of our past. We all have experiences and traumas that help to create the person that we are in this moment right now, you sitting there and me standing here. Sometimes those traumas stack up to create unhealthy patterns in our lives. But don't fool yourself. If you're angry because of some hurt in your past and you project that into your present, it's still sin. Being sinned, against, being sinned against then doesn't give you the permission to sin now. We have to call a spade a spade. That's what John is saying. If we just blame everything on our past, we'll end up in a hopeless, crazy cycle where there is no true, actual gospel hope. Failure to acknowledge the enemy of sin dilutes our need to call on an all-sufficient hero to save us. I read one liberal seminary professor who said, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I just think Jesus came to show us something about life. Here's how to do it. 
So I don't think we need people hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. Maybe if you're not a Christian today, that kind of resonates with you. I don't know. But that's someone who proclaims some kind of affinity for the Bible, some kind of affinity for Jesus. But they've got it twisted because if there is no sin, then we don't need a savior. Remaining silent on sin is to promote being silent on Jesus. So we have to talk about sin. But what is it still? To sin is to make yourself, rather than God, the basis of uh, truth and good. In real time, that looks like you and me deciding in a moment that the best good is to lash out at a spouse. Or the best good is to click on that link. Or to steal time from your employer. We have said, God, I don't like what you said in your word, and I'd rather go this way on this thing. I want something else. We've made ourselves God. We've decided in that moment that we are going to dethrone him and enthrone me. This is how John Stott said it. He said, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. It's when man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. So instead of denying that we sin, that we're sinners, John calls on us to admit that we sin and to say the same thing that God says about our sin. Do you see it there in verse 9? Look at it. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That word confess, it just means to say the same thing as. It means to say the same thing about your sin that God does. So I wonder, do you say the same thing about your sin that God does? And even in like your, just your, maybe your relationships with your spouse or whatever, uh, I would caution us from saying things like, I apologize for the way that it hurt you. And instead say something like, because we want to say the same thing that God says about our sin, right? Instead say, I'm sorry, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? That's saying the same thing that God says about our sin. We, Miriam and I have gotten in a, in a pattern of doing that. It's been good for us. It's very hard to say that phrase. I sinned against God and I sinned against you. It feels impossible sometimes, but it's been really healthy, a really healthy thing in our marriage. So do you agree with, do you agree with God? Do you confess about your sin the same thing that God says? If you find yourself at odds with what, this, with what God says in this book, you're probably in the dark, is the argument, the logic of this passage. John's call here is to walk out of the darkness of pretending like we don't sin and saying the same thing as God says about our sin. But there's another contributor to the darkness here too. It's this, don't pretend like your sin doesn't matter. First, don't pretend like you don't sin, and then don't pretend like your sin doesn't matter. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, while we sin, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. So for now, we'll get more to this in, in, in future weeks, but for now we'll just define darkness as anything outside of the light, anything that goes outside the bounds of God's truth, the word, the word of God. That's darkness. Uh, this idea of walking in darkness is packed with this idea of persevering in or like continuing in. John's no dummy. He, 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 he knows that we can't not sin, so he's not expecting sinlessness from us, but he's concerned that we not keep walking in sin, persevering in it. John is saying that we must not pretend it's okay to walk in the dark while claiming to be those who are walking in the light. 
It's like this meme I saw the other day. I don't know if you can see that well enough up there, but we are all eager to get in the John 3.16 line. The whole world is. If you're unfamiliar with the Christian Bible, the, the idea sort of behind this meme is that this is the line that says, all you got to do is believe and you'll be saved. That's great news and it's absolutely true. Do not want to delete, uh, dilute that or delete that. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. But don't stop short in that passage. That text in John 3 continues on with some very grave warnings that mirror what we see here in John's letter. Remember, John wrote the gospel. The same John who wrote that gospel also wrote this letter. Here's what he said back in the gospel. For God so loved the world, this is what we love, right? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But we stop short if we don't continue on. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things or walks in darkness hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light. So do you see how this section here in John 3 is like an echo of what's happening in 1 John 1? John is saying that many of us prefer to stay in the dark because we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be exposed to ourselves, to others, or to God. We don't really want to acknowledge that our hearts are often very dark places and need light shown into, sh shined into them. So John is making a pretty startling claim here. If we let him startle us, and I think you should let him startle you this morning, it is possible to claim to have faith but not actually have it. This should unnerve each of us. It's supposed to. John's like, don't fake it till you make it. It won't work. It may seem to be working for you right now, but don't trust that. It's an illusion. John says that self-deception is a real problem. It means that you think one thing about yourself, that you're walking in the light, when the opposite is actually true, that you're still walking in darkness. It means that you think you're in the family of God when you're not. One thing John really wants us to get here is that faith is not merely intellectual. It doesn't just happen up here. Some of us are tempted to believe that faith is just what I think. But John is here saying that faith is demonstrated in what we practice and how we walk. Faith is demonstrated in how we practice and how we walk. Do you remember in James's letter? James's letter. Um, we're all over the New Testament today. In James's letter, when he's like, "Look, you believe there's a God? Bravo! The demons also believe." Now, demon talk might sound strange to you today in our very domesticated America, especially if you're new to the Christian faith or just maybe exploring it. But just because it sounds strange doesn't mean they're not real. And we don't have time to debate that this morning. That's not the point. But the, the point that James is making in his letter uh, is that demons believe a lot of the same things that we believe if you're a Christian. They certainly believe in the existence of God. They knew that Jesus was and is God and the one way of salvation. They know all of these things and yet they still reject God. They don't want the real him. And my fear, my fear is that there are countless so-called Christians who have bought into this garbage, easy believism idea that says belief is enough. I don't have to do anything. If this is you, 
John and James say that you are in no better position than the demons. Jesus made this exact point in one of his sermons. He said in Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So he's saying that you can look at a fruit tree and know what kind of tree it is. If you see oranges hanging on the tree branches, you know that inside that tree are the inner workings of an orange tree. If you could extract tree DNA, you'd see that it's an orange tree. Do trees have DNA? I don't know. But if you could extract the DNA of your faith, what kind of DNA would we find? What is on the outside is evidence of what is on the inside. I'm not saying you can work your way to God because you cannot. But I'm saying that those of us who are truly believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ will have clearly demonstrable fruit in our lives. So what kind of fruit is hanging on the limbs of your life right now? Back to John's letter. Your sin matters. It's offensive. Jesus described it in that Matthew passage like a diseased fruit. And if you have embraced your sin rather than rejected it, thinking that you'll be fine with God on the other side just because you believe something, you are misguided and you are headed for grave danger. I do want to make an important caveat here, and we'll cover this text next week, but John knows that sinner's going to sin, sinner's going to sin, so he does let off the gas here a little bit. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He said, as anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So hear this clearly then. A mark of a true believer is not being sinless, but sin aware. Not being sinless, but being sin aware. If you're looking for assurance this morning that you are a true believer, take stock in how, of how sin aware you are. Are you aware of it? Are you indifferent to it? This leads us to point two. Step out of the darkness and walk in the light. So how do you know if your faith is real or not? You turn on the light, flip on the switch. You shine the word of God onto your life and you see what it reveals. And what is the light of God exposing right here in this letter from John? This, true Christians don't just believe the truth, they live it. And true Christians don't just acknowledge the light, they walk in it. So evaluate your life this morning. Are you more of a believer than a doer? Do you feel like your doctrine is deep, but your devotion is cool? Turn from that today. Embrace both. Don't just believe rightly about God's word. Walk rightly in the light of God's word. What is one thing that could illuminate our thoughts on how we're doing with this? How could we know if we're guilty of separating our doctrine from our devotion? We have to shine the light of the truth in our hearts. That's truth with a capital T, like this. The light of the truth. Uh, sometimes we create this, these silly rhymes in our house to incentivize our kids towards good behavior. I've told some of you guys this, uh, some of these before. One of my favorites, and the one that they loathe the most, is when they want to get on screens. And this is what I say. There will be no screen until your room is clean. All right? Or when, like, dessert is on the line for them, but the living room is flooded with puzzle pieces and game pieces, I'll say, there will be no treat until it is neat. 
when I'm trying to lose weight. I even rhymed myself, there will be no dinner until you are thinner. Um, <laughs> but when it's been a while since they've rescued their room, and there's Legos all over the place, and I have to go up there in the dead of night for some reason, what do I do to prevent that terrible foot pain and plastic crunch that follows a misstep? How do I prevent that? Lights, flashlight on my phone. I, I, I turn on the light on my phone to avoid the danger, yes, of the Lego, but also to get to where I'm going. I turn on the light to keep my foot right. All right, we're out of hand here. No more, I promise. So according to John here, we need this light to determine what is right and what is wrong. That light will tell the truth about you, and it'll tell the truth about God. Verse 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So I have been spelunking, spelunking, I don't know how you say it, once in my life. If you don't know what spelunking is, it's like uh, caving. <laughs> you, you go into a cave. Um, that's spelunking. <laughs> and when I went spelunking, it was extraordinary. If you ever get the chance to go, you should. It's a kind of darkness that can only be experienced like a mile deep in the belly of the earth. It's, it's really quite remarkable. But the guide I was with uh, wanted to provide us with an enhanced experience, so at certain points, he wouldn't allow us to use our headlamps. It was incredibly frightening. Uh, but there were also times, thankfully, where he, he, he would allow us or required us to turn our lamps on. And what did those lights do? Well, negatively, it helped us to avoid danger, small cliffs, sharp rocks, or whatever, you know. But positively, it helped us to get to where we're going and to observe the beauty around us. When you spelunk in the darkness, you may stumble over a rock or slip on a wet, slick rock or fall off a cliff or hit your head on a low-hanging stalactite. Or is it stalagmite? I don't know which, but anyway. Darkness is full of threat. It's a major hindrance to achieving your goal. But light changes all that. It exposes dangers and frees you from those dangers' threats. It shows you the way to your goal. It introduces hope. I might actually make it out of this thing alive. According to John here, God is this kind of light for the world. His light prevents danger, and it shows you where you need to go. It does both. And this light shines on every part of our world. It gives light to everyone. And according to John's other book, his gospel, that we've referenced a few times this morning, all the world has access to this light. John 1.9 says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Look, I'm not sure where you're at with your faith this morning. There's probably a, a smorgasbord of where we're at with things. I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but the Bible is clear that everyone can sense that there is a light in the world, the light of God's truth. Romans 1 says it like this, For what can be known about God is plain. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So everyone, 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 everyone can at some level see the light. But many don't recognize the light, or maybe they don't understand where it's coming from. Like, has a child ever asked you on an overcast, cloudy day, 
where's all the light coming from? They can see that it's light, like today, we can see that it's light, but we can't see the sun. There's no apparent obvious source of light. Maybe that's true for some of you in here today. You can see light, you just don't know its source. You can look around you and know that there is good and beauty and order in this world. You can see the order of creation, the grandeur of Niagara Falls, the intimacy of the human cell, the intricacy of the human cell, the miracle of birth, the rapidly fluttering wings of a hummingbird, the crystal clear beauty of the Caribbean waters, and all the things. You can see that and know that it did not come about by chance. But if you haven't recognized the source of all that light before, we're here to tell you today that it is the light of the Word of God. It's, that light is none other than God Himself. We hope that you will come to this light for rescue. If you've got questions about that, let's sit down and chat sometime this week. What ultimately is this light? What exactly? What does John mean that God is light? Well, I think. The answer is that is, is God's truth. For instance, remember Psalm 119, verse 105? It says, your word is a lamp, is a light to my feet, and a light to my path. What is God's light? God's light is God's truth. And where is the only place we find that? Right here, in his word. When we stay near to this book, we see the world with increasing clarity. When we stray from the light of this book, the darkness of the world becomes increasingly attractive. Stay near the light by gathering with us weekly, by gathering with your C group, by unfolding God's word every day. So saying that God is light is equivalent to saying God is the source and measure for all that is true. God is the source and the measure for all that is true. We learned this a few weeks ago in Proverbs 1, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, you can't truly know the reality of anything if you leave God out of the picture. You can't know the true reality of anything if you leave God out. It's only God's light, God's truth, that lights up the path, that can show you the dangers and show you the way. God is the source of all that is true, and whatever is true is true because it comes from him and conforms to him. It comes from him and it conforms to him. And look at the very firm connection here between walking in the light and being assured that our sin, sin is cleansed. These two things paired together in verse 7. If we walk in the light, skip to the end, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. So John is saying that. If you are not walking in the light, you have no warrant for believing that your sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you are not walking in the light, you have no warrant for believing that your sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. This is a jarring reality. But please look at your life in the light that this book provides. What is true about you this morning? There is no assurance of salvation while you're comfortably living in disobedience. That's why in Luke 6, Jesus asks, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? What's the implication of that? It's that if you don't do what he says... He's not really your Lord. Here's how one pastor encapsulates this point. He says, The message of 1 John, that walking in the light is not optional, but necessary for salvation, is good news because it creates the moral atmosphere of urgency in which serious business is done with God. 
It gives the flavor of eternity to all that we say and do. It militates against religious gamesmanship. It leads people to real faith instead of encouraging them to be content with a lip service that cannot change and cannot save. John is telling this little church in this letter that the religious gamesmanship of the people who left the church wasn't saving. Their behavior was reflective of darkness, not of light. So when the truth enters in, the light reveals our sin. All you visitors today, aren't you so glad to hear so much about sin this morning? It's important that we deal with this reality. I know it's been heavy today. Come back next week and I promise you there is sweet, sweet relief. And there's a little bit of relief coming today, but the best relief is next week in the next part of the letter. But I'll give you an appetizer of relief now. Thankfully, sin, danger, isn't the only thing the light shows. Remember, when you're spelunking, flashlights not only show you the danger around you, but they also show you something hopeful, where you need to go. It exposes the dangers, but it illuminates the joys. The light of God's word does the same for us. God's truth exposes the dangers of living in darkness and illuminates the joys of walking with Jesus. It's both. The light shows us the danger, but also, also the solution for our sin. The way the Bible describes sin is like a, like a debt we rack up. But we can be cleansed of that debt in the light of Christ Jesus. So while we live in this sin-riddled world and with our sin-riddled selves, we live in attention. Our greatest joy is that our sin has been cleansed by Christ. Well, at the same time, our greatest lament should be that our remaining sin grieves Christ. It's this tension that we live in. So in the end, John is saying a mark of true belief is brokenness over your sin mingled with the joyful confidence in your Savior. A few minutes ago, I read you a quote from John Stott about the true nature of sin, but I didn't complete the quote. He says this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. That is sweet, sweet, good, good news right there. Even though we've made this mess, Jesus fixed our mess. As we close, I just want to note some quick parallels within our passage. I threw it in a table up here for you that hopefully will make it clear. Verses 6 and 7 say, if we say that. Over to 8 and 9, if we say that. Verse uh, 2, if we have fellowship with him. 8 and 9, we do not have sin. And here's where the parallels uh, begin to make more sense. Uh, uh, in the third line there, we lie. We deceive ourselves. We do not practice the truth. The truth is not in us. If we walk in the light, if we confess our sins, if we have fellowship with one another, he's faithful and just to forgive. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us, and we're cleansed from unrighteousness. So maybe this is kind of interesting to you, maybe not, I don't know. What does it even matter? Why do I bring this up? Well, look at that second section there, where the number two is. John parallels walking in darkness with acting like we don't sin. Walking with darkness, acting like we don't sin. But then look at uh, section five. John parallels walking in the light with confession of sin. So maybe the most important insight we get from these parallels is that Denying or indifference to sin is part of what it means to walk in darkness. Denying or indifference to sin is part of what it means to walk in darkness. But 
confessing our sin is part of what it means to walk in the light. Walking in sin cuts us off, with, cuts us off from fellowship with God. Confessing our sin opens up this channel of forgiveness and cleansing. So as we wrap here, remember our big idea. Assurance is fueled by knowing the truth about God and the truth about us. In layman's terms, this means sinner's going to sin, and that is not okay. But it also means that the Savior's going to save, and that's our only hope. So two concluding applications here for us. First, walk in the light by regularly reading God's word. Stay near to this book, church. It's a lamp for your feet and a light to your path. It'll light up the dangers around you and illuminate the path before you. Second, walk in the light by regularly confessing to God's people. Don't underestimate the great value of God's people in your walk with Jesus. As others walk with the Lord, they will be able to shine the light into your life to expose where you might be wandering off into darkness. Proverbs says in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Keeping our sin secret guarantees continued slavery. Narcotics Anonymous uses this great slogan. It says, we are only as sick as our secrets. John makes that plain that deep, meaningful fellowship in the body of Christ, genuine intimacy, will only happen if we come into the light together. Did you see it there in verse 7? Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Someone once said, if you want to stay stuck in your sin, confess it only to God. If you want to overcome it, confess it to someone else. I think that uh, there's at least a degree of truth to that. Those of us committed to ruthless Honesty consistently overcome their sin and make great strides in holiness. In stark contrast, I have never encountered an individual who overcame their struggles if they were unwilling to bring that sin into the light with others. As uncomfortable as it is, this confession, this living in the light together, is all part of God's design. James exhorts us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Spiritual healing and transformation occurs in the context of community. The Bible tells us, though, we often choose darkness over light, don't we? Though we do that, the damage is not irreparable. In the end, darkness will not overcome the world. The light will overcome the darkness. In the end, Jesus' light will overwhelm all the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. But while we wait for that reality to come, to culminate, let's walk in the light together, believing the truth about God and about us. Will is going to come pray for us now, a prayer of application. There's a button that you gotta push. Yeah, there you go. Lord, what a privilege it is as your children to come before your throne of grace and mercy. Thank you that we can come into that throne because of the work of Jesus for our souls. I pray, Father, that we would 
seek our assurance in knowing you through your word and that we would learn of ourselves and that we would shine the light of your word on our hearts as we read it daily. Lord, would you call us into the light out of the darkness that we walk through each day and that as we see our sin, we would confess it before you and before our brothers and sisters that we might be forgiven of our sins and walk in the light that you give in Jesus. We pray, I just think about the words of the song that says, though our sins are many, Lord, your grace is more, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.